The Holy Spirit is God and is his presence, active in the world now. However, it is not my task to explain who the Holy Spirit is, but to try to describe what he does. Whatever the Holy Spirit is, there is energy, there is change happening, or at the very least, potential for change. Genesis chapter 1 illustrates this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. If you are a Christian, this Holy Spirit has been given to you as a gift. In Acts chapter 2, we read Peter's words. Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is when the Holy Spirit comes and makes his dwelling place in you. That is when you become a Christian. That is when you are saved. But first he convicts us of sin. We come to God aware that we are needy people who know deep down that we are not as we should be. It is the Holy Spirit who acts upon our consciences and shows us that very need that we have for God. Sometimes painfully we become aware of our flaws. This is known as being convicted of sin. And it's actually a good thing. And Christians may sometimes pray for the Holy Spirit to convict a person of sin. Not that we wish a person to be miserable, just the opposite. We want them to become aware of their need for God and reach out to him and receive his love and grace. Now a person can sense God's call upon them like this, yet still not become a Christian. It is only when a person acts upon God's call and turns from their old ways and opens up their life to Jesus that the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in them. This is being a born-again Christian. There is no other kind of Christian than a born-again Christian. John chapter 3 illustrates this. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. This creates the constant state of being a disciple. God dwelling in someone. By his Holy Spirit. He dwells in believers. It's worth pausing to consider this astonishing fact. Any character in the Old Testament that you could name would have been blown away by this. Because for them, gods dwelled in temples. But you, Christian, are now a temple of the living God. And it was very costly making you into that temple 
as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. The more we get this fact and really live it, the more we will be able to know God's will and the more power we will have to do it. A Christian, a disciple, can never again be empty of God. Our moods may change. We might at times feel out of touch with God. But feelings are less important than facts. Nevertheless, there's nothing wrong with asking God for more of his Holy Spirit to flow into us, to flow through us. As he works in us, he grows fruit in us. But which fruit? You may ask. Consider the fruit of the Spirit, as listed in Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Do you want these qualities to grow in you? I do. I want to be more fruitful in this way. Who would not? Contrast this list of beautiful qualities with the characters of the twelve disciples, even after spending years with Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit was still sadly lacking in them. Judas, for instance, had been helping himself to the money that they all had to live on. James and John were vying for power over the others. And Peter, on the night Jesus was betrayed, took his sword and attacked someone. Jesus told the disciples, Love one another as I have loved you. It seems that even for his closest friends, this was impossible without the Holy Spirit. Does the Holy Spirit react to us? Yes. He can be grieved. Willful disobedience. Willful sin bothers God a lot. God turns away from sin. To stop grieving the Spirit, we may need to turn away from sin ourselves and actively turn towards God once more. We may need to listen and trust and obey. We may need to allow Him to take the throne of our hearts once more. Remember, We've been bought at a price. But does he just leave us then? No. He gives us gifts. Prophecy. Apostleship. Teaching. Encouraging. Giving. Leadership. Mercy. Words of wisdom. Words of knowledge. Faith. Healing. Miracle working distinguishing between spirits, speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, spiritually helping. Paul tells us to eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. So ask, have you ever asked for these gifts? Why not? What do you have to lose?
So the Holy Spirit is generous, but he also appears to be quite self-effacing. He points us to Jesus. In John 15, Jesus tells us, When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. It is, of course, all about Jesus. Sometimes I like to imagine what it must have been like to walk the dusty roads with Jesus as one of his disciples. Wouldn't it have been great to sit at his feet daily and absorb all his matchless wisdom and teaching, to hear him answer my questions? This would surely have been the best thing possible, to form my character, to make me more like him. Or would it? Actually, I don't think it would. As I said earlier, the evidence we see in the New Testament points to the group of Jesus' closest followers being just as selfish, misguided and violent at the end of their three years with him as at the beginning. So what changed? What happened to make them into the people who took the gospel, the good news, to the ends of the known world? In John 16, Jesus tells us, It is for your good that I go away. Unless I go, the Helper will not come. Very simply, Jesus died for our sins, rose from the grave and went to the Father. Then the Holy Spirit was sent to dwell in each and every disciple, permanently. It was the Holy Spirit who transformed the disciples. Contrast this with the Old Testament, where the Holy Spirit seems to have acted more narrowly in his dealing with people. Individuals, prophets, judges, warriors, kings, even a heathen fortune teller like Balaam and his donkey experienced God's Spirit. It seems to have always been temporary, and there was never a widespread filling of people with the Holy Spirit. Jesus had to go through death and resurrection, and then go to the Father, before the Holy Spirit could be released to dwell in all disciples and change them permanently. Before that, the disciples just did not understand his mission. Even at the Last Supper, just before Jesus was murdered on the cross, the disciples still did not get what he was trying to do. And this is why they were so shocked by his washing their feet. Even after all the words he had told them, they still could not make sense of it. They needed the Holy Spirit to work on them. In John 14, Jesus explains to them, The Helper will teach you all things and remind you of all the things I said to you. You should be glad that I am going to the Father. Jesus told them to wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. This did happen. 
It happened at Pentecost, 50 days after Jesus was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. But what about us? Can we be changed? The Holy Spirit certainly challenges us to be changed. Thomas Merton sheds some light on this. He says, Be careful if you're thinking about making friends with the Holy Spirit, because he's going to ask you to die. Physical death? Probably not. But put your selfish self to death and allow the indwelling Holy Spirit to be in charge of you. If you do, you will communicate with God more, says Charles Spurgeon. He says, The habit of private prayer and the constant practice of heart communion with God are the surest indicators of the work of the Holy Spirit upon the soul. Do you want this fulfilling life? Yeah, it sounds very attractive to me. Corrie ten Boom summed up much of what I've been trying to say today when she wrote the following. Trying to do the Lord's work in your own strength is the most confusing, exhausting and tedious of all work. But when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, then the ministry of Jesus just flows out of you. Where does this leave us? I feel like I know quite a bit of theory, but what I think I sadly lack is experience, and I suspect we all do. Let us really seek God's Spirit in our lives. Jesus died so that we could have his Holy Spirit dwelling in us. As I close, I bring to you and me a challenge. If you're a Christian, commit to getting to know the Holy Spirit better. That is God's will for you. But if you're not a Christian, then perhaps God's Holy Spirit has been speaking to you today. Act upon that. Tell someone who is already a disciple. I'll finish with a reminder of Peter's words from Acts chapter 2. Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit.